It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. If you have been subjected to parental alienation, you really want to listen closely to this show. We're going to cover a lot of, um, of really wonderful information that will help you in this journey. Um, today's special guest, Dr. Lynn Steinberg, works with families, couples, groups, and individuals. She has specialized in working with children and adults abused as children for more than 47 years. Her interest and background grew naturally to embrace the psychological abuse of parental alienation, which she has specialized in for the last 13 years. This includes false allegations or false accusations of sexual abuse. Dr. Steinberg offers a four-day intensive family reunification program for alienated parents and their alienated children. It takes place in Los Angeles. She is an expert witness in parental alienation in the children's court, family court, and criminal court. She can also testify in every state and internationally to the mistreatment of alienated parents and children. Dr. Steinberg is a trained mediator and has mediated for Superior Court. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Dr. Steinberg, and welcome. Good morning, Randy, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm just so honored to have you. Um, You've done such amazing work in the area of parental alienation. Um, I'm I'm going to ask you um, how you define it, but I first wanted to um, read something from page seven in your book, you're not crazy overcoming parent-child alienation. And you say that uh, Dr. Amy Baker, who was a researcher, author, um, and co-author of eight books nationally and internationally, she provides a poignant definition of parental alienation. And I love this quote. She says, parental alienation is when one parent gives the children permission to break the other parent's heart. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, could not have been so said better. Absolutely. So, Lynn, how do you define parental alienation? I define it as when a couple splits up and they one parent weaponizes the children against the other parent in an act of revenge, really, that goes on and on. And um, it's when a child rejects the other parent, the one that's targeted, and loses out on having a loving parent in their lives. And I define it as child abuse. It certainly is child abuse. Um, And you say that the alienation process usually begins when the children are young, so they are primed to reject the parent. 
How early does this yes. actually start? Well, it can start when the children are very little. Like I've seen three-year-olds act uh, like children do when they're alienated from a parent, kicking a parent, screaming if the parent comes near them, acting as if they're afraid of that parent. And usually the parent who is trying to get revenge on the other parent will stop the alienation process while the targeted parent is still in the house with the children. So it looks like, oh, your father's so dumb about this, or, oh, your father never does anything around the house, or your mother's always angry. They make comments like that. And, of course, children have their ears perked at all times, and they're ready to make decisions. And children will align themselves with the parent who's doing the attacking because they don't want to be attacked, of course. And the targeted parent is usually the healthier parent and the more loving parent. And so they know they're not going to be rejected by that parent. But the major rejection starts taking place once the couple is separated. And it is so devastating. It's probably the worst thing that a parent can go through because it's like it's yes. the death. It's the death of the living to lose a child yes. like that, or to be rejected from a child who you've spent your entire life focusing on and loving and trying to bring up the right way. It's so tragic. Um, yes, and that's why I named my book "You're Not Crazy" because parents feel crazy. You know, they they left a situation that was really not good for them, and they had no intention of divorcing their children. And all of a sudden, that child is refusing to see them and being very denigrating, and um, they feel like they're crazy. Now, can it is it also parental alienation when the child comes home to the targeted parent and has this adjustment period where they're saying terrible things to that parent. They're, you know, they're um, talking back and um, putting the parent down. Is that also parental alienation? Yes, it is. The denigration of a parent when there's no real reason for the denigration is parental alienation. And that occurs when there's an undue influence on the child to reject the other parent. Um, so in um, you talk about Dr. Richard Gardner's um, uh, study of parental alienation syndrome as defined by eight symptoms. And the first one is this campaign of denigration. The second one is weak, absurd, or frivolous rationalizations. How would that look? Um, they, they would say, well, I just had a family in my office recently. There were six children, and they were all alienated against their dad. And I, they said that their dad was abusive, and I do this in all my interventions. I get my pad and paper out, and I say, okay, well, tell me all the ways in which your dad was abusive. And then I write down every single thing they say. 
and then I read it back to them. So this group of children was saying that their main complaint was their dad stole their food. Now, this dad, you know, supports all six of these children, plus the mother, plus a whole household in addition to his own. So what happened was that the mother, after kicking him out of the bedroom and there was no other place for him to sleep except in the sleeping bag on the floor in the living room, um, she also refused to cook for him. And so he would come in at eight at night very hungry and he would like munch off the kids' plates. And the mother turned that as stealing off the children's plates. And the children began to think of it that way. And when I questioned them about it and wanted to know how come they didn't have any empathy for their dad, you know, sleeping on the floor and not having a meal to come home to and opening cans to eat, when they had a full meal that he had earned the money for. And I had to work for probably two hours to get them to see that that was just a ridiculous accusation that he was abusing them by taking food off their plates and that they, in fact, had no empathy for their dad and what he was going through. So that's an example of a frivolous complaint or yeah. accusation. And there's many, many. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, and that's that's really... That's really a great one. I, I mean, I know that um, alienated parents are accused of all kinds of ridiculous things. You know, they're um, accused of being abusive when maybe they yelled one time. I mean, it's just yes. it's, it's blown out of proportion. The third one is lack of ambivalence in the child. Um, right. What do we see with lack of ambivalence? Well, in order for a child to cope with what's going on, they split their mind into what's good and what's bad. And they start to buy into the idea that the alienator is putting forth that the alienator is the good parent and the alienated parent or targeted parent is the bad parent. And then their whole understanding of the world becomes black or white. They're very concrete in their thoughts, and, and it's a defense mechanism. It's a way to cope with everything that's going on. Okay. And the, um, the fourth one is independent thinker phenomenon. What yes. is that? Mm-hmm. Well, for example, when the children come into my office and um, they say that they don't want to see their father or their mother and, you know, they have lots of good reasons for thinking that they shouldn't see, and I ask them about it, and they will say, well, it's my thought. My mother didn't tell me to think this, or my father didn't say that I should not see my mother. He gave me a choice. So it would look like when the dad would come or the mom would come to pick up the children, the children, the other parents would say, well, if you don't want to go with him or her, just tell him. And so then 
two problems arise from that. One, it has the children thinking that they're in charge and they can tell that parent that they don't want to go with them. And I forgot what the other one was that I was going to say. I'm sorry. It's it's okay. Um, You say uh, the child says repeatedly that it is their decision alone to not see the parent and that they have not been persuaded. When in fact... This is this is this is programming. This is brainwashing, right? Yeah, so they they're thinking, right? They're thinking that they're that this is their opinion, but in fact, it has been um, indoctrinated into them. Okay, exactly. So, They've been manipulated right. into thinking that they can choose whether they see the other parents or not. So they think it's their decision. But the biggest problem that that kind of manipulation creates is that um, children become over-empowered. So they think that they can make all the decisions for themselves. And it ranges from, you know, not seeing a parent to being very abusive to a parent to um, refusing to do things, refusing to have the parents at their graduations, um, they become very autocratic and very over-empowered. And that's another thing that we address in the four-day intervention is to get the children to see that actually this parent that they're in the room with is is the one who's in charge, not them. Hmm. And actually they relax once they realize that they don't have to make these kind of decisions anymore. That's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, the fifth one is reflexive support of the alienator. And you talk about, um, you talked about black and white thinking before, but you also bring that, you also talk about that splitting um, in reflexive yeah. support of the alienator. Uh, is this different than what you talked about before or? Um... A little bit different in that, if the alienator is brought up at all in these sessions, um, the child will defend them. And recently I had the hardest family that I've ever had where the child sat for five days mute, refusing to talk, refusing to acknowledge anything. And when he did finally turn turn the corner on this, he um, said that he didn't want to say anything about his mom, but that he knew that she's a severe um, hoarder and a severe alienator, um, that he knew that she was doing that, but that he didn't want to say anything bad about her. So that's an example of reflexive support. Okay. So it doesn't okay. matter what situation they're living in, which is just as abusive as the one that you lived in, you know, because why would an alienated change and not treat their child that way once the other parent leaves? Um, So, you know, they will just defend that parent no matter what. And Amy Baker, you mentioned her, she wrote a book called Bonded to the Abuser. And you see this a lot with um, abused children where they will defend their parents who's doing the abusing and are very bonded with them. In fact, I can bring up this point now. Um, 
children who are alienated are the only group of children who completely alienate a parent and will not speak to them or the extended family. Whereas abused children will want to have a relationship with the abuser and will want to see the extended family and, in fact, often will live with the extended family because they clearly can't live with the abuser anymore. So it's only in parental alienation that a child will outright, you know, um, reject a parent and not have anything to do with that parent. Right. So there there are reasons for um, being alienated from the parent. Um, It's not, you know, it it, it doesn't, it's not true, Um, but they they totally think that it's true. Okay. So um, number six is absence of guilt for their actions. And I think, um, well, well, let me ask you what this, what this is, absence of guilt. Well, Generally, when somebody treats another person badly, they feel bad about it, except if they have a personality disorder like, you know, narcissistic, where you, which is what you deal with, or sociopathic or psychotic. And then there's a complete lack of empathy. And the alienator has basically taught the children to not have any empathy for the parents. And one of the worst repercussions that children suffer from once they realize what has happened is guilt and shame. And it's very hard to deal with, but if they are able to deal with it, for example, in the four-day intervention, to really feel their guilt and shame and talk to their parents about it, they can recover from that because, of course, the alienated parent will forgive them immediately. So they, they completely lack empathy. It's so amazing to see. You know, their alienated parent could be hit by a car and they wouldn't blink an eye. And so that's the second major thing that we do in the um, intervention is teach the children how to have empathy. And the lack of empathy really separates, like, for example, incarcerated people. They show a lack of empathy for their victims. And people who are more healthy and well-adjusted have empathy. So oftentimes an alienated parent is called an empath because they got involved in that relationship in the first place because they had empathy for what their partner had been through. But I think in the end, it's a misplaced empathy. (laughs) And unfortunately, the children learn that. And if it's not dealt with in therapy, then, um, you know, they could go on to have conduct disorders and a lack of empathy and not be able to have good relationships. And parental alienation is something that's repeated from generation to generation. So, for example, if you're alienated as a child, you're most likely to marry someone who is just like the parent who alienated you. And it's an attempt to resolve an issue 
But in fact, what happens is the same dynamic gets repeated again and again until there's some kind of intervention. And and I would like to say here, Randy, if I may, that one of the reasons that children do not get better in regular therapy is because instead of pointing out to them that they need to have empathy and understanding for a parent who is um, alienated and investigate what they're claiming to be abuse like we do in the four day, um, it exacerbates the alienation and that therapist becomes a co-alienator against the parent who's alienated. Mm. And you see this everywhere, unfortunately. And one of the main goals that I have, along with several of my colleagues, is to change the law to mandate therapists and judges, lawyers, mediators, you know, everyone who deals with children to recognize this phenomenon and treat it in a way that they've not been used to treating a child or an alienated parent. Because even with alienated parents, the therapist does say, well, you must have done something to cause Mm -hmm. this alienation. You must have abused your child. That is Mm -hmm. incorrect. 90% of the time they did nothing to cause the situation. It's really the other parents who caused it. Wow. And I know that um, that there are so many uh, professionals who are trying to get these laws passed, trying to change the education of um, psychologists, psychotherapists. Uh, it, it's so badly needed. And I see it um, yes. in my own work, you know, in my own work, people who come to me who have been They've, they've seen a therapist and basically been shamed and blamed because the same thing as you said, um, well, you must have done something, you know, it takes two to yeah. have a relationship, but these are not relationships at all. <laughs> uh, no. These are very one-sided, no. right? Yes, yes. I mean, it's all about control. Right. The alienator wants to control the other parent, and it's when that parent get sick and tired of being controlled and realizes they don't really have a relationship. They're just being controlled and they leave that the alienator will up the ante and, you know, use the children as weapons, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. Horrible thing. Um, Borrowed borrowed scenarios are, um, are what? Well, um, so I had this one family where a child was claiming to have seen his dad hit his mom. And he said that he was standing in the doorway of the bedroom um, and he saw his dad throw his mom up against the wall and start beating her. And his dad very emphatically said, no, that did not happen. And I said to the dad, well, was there some kind of altercation? And he said, yes, there was, because um, mom had gotten extremely drunk and combative, and they had had 
a big fight, and he had tried to escape the situation and left the house with the three children sleeping. And so I said to the little boy, well, how, how old were you when you remember this? And he said, three. <laughs> well, three-year-olds oh, wow. are not going to remember something like that in any great detail. They're just not. And so I do challenge their memories. But obviously in this situation, the mom kept um, exaggerating the incident until um, that's what the children believed. And by the, by the end of the time, before they came in for treatment, you know, they saw their dad beating their mom every single day and he would use mm -hmm. objects and, you know, and those are borrowed scenarios. It's oh, the wow. mom's story and they take it on as if it's their own and quote unquote remember it, which is another thing we challenge in the four day is that memories are not reliable. They're not reliable for anyone. But in this kind of situation, they were inserted into a child's head, and the child acts as if that's their memory. Yes, I've heard this happen, and I've seen it happen. Okay, and the eighth one is the spread of animosity, and this is where they expand to not only the alienated parent, but to their extended family, right? Yes, yes. And I think this is the hardest one for alienated parents because suddenly they wake up one morning and none of their friends are speaking to them and the alienated family is not speaking to them and they and people at school are not speaking to them and they have no idea why. Talk about feeling crazy. So the alienator will not only change the children's opinion of that parent, but they work on changing everyone's opinion. So by the time someone would meet this alienated parent, they would be shocked to see how nice they were and very suspicious of all their motives. And you see this a lot in schools because the alienator will get the confidence of the schools and I've had so many situations where alienated parents have been tried have tried to be in their children's lives as far as school goes, and um, have basically been barred. And alienators have done things like file for a restraining order, and the school isn't sophisticated enough to understand that a restraining order has to be signed by a judge in order for it to be valid. But the school doesn't know that. So they see, you know, application for a TRO, and they think that there's a restraining order against the other parents, even though it gets dismissed in court or dropped. And so that sets up, as you can imagine, a horrible situation for them in the schools their children are at. Yes, it does. It does. It brings up a quote. Uh, brings a, a quote to mind. When they can no longer control you, they try to control how others see you. And um, oh, yeah. Yes, and this is um, okay. So, children who um, align with their alienator, um, 
they don't they see their that parent as the victim and they feel like they have to take care of that parent? Oh, they do take care of that parent. Um, children have told me um, when I say to them, well, what chores do you do at home? Well, they've taken over doing all the laundry, cooking for that parent, taking care of, this is a very common one, taking care of younger children because very often the alienator has, you know, sloughed off the responsibility of parenting onto younger children. And so they continue their abusive ways. I've actually got audio tapes of, um, well, there's one that comes to mind where a teenager gets in the car and she's been texting and the mom sees that she's been texting and asks her about it. And and she finally admits that she's been texting her dad. And the mom starts screaming at the child saying, that has to go through me. You don't have my permission to have a relationship with your dad. And, um, and it escalates to the point that she's screaming at her poor daughter to get out of the house, that she doesn't want her there, if she's going to align herself with her father, then she has to move out of the house. And that kind of thing occurs all the time, but the children are not allowed to talk about that, and that's what the judges don't see, that the children are actually being being abused in these situations. And you mentioned Dr. Steve Miller earlier, and his one of his great contributions was to recognize that parental alienation was counterintuitive. So the alienator and the children might be in the courtroom, which, by the way, we object to children being in the courtroom at all because it's very um, abusive to them, you know, to testify against the parent that they love. Um, And so they think that the child is, bonded to that parent. In fact, there's a law on the books in California where it says that if a child appears to be bonded with one parent, then they cannot be ordered into any of these four-day, 14-day, whatever programs, which includes my four-day intervention, um, because they may not remove a child if they appear to be bonded. And Dr. Miller came up with the idea that the, that what you see is not what you get. So they may be appearing as having a very close relationship or they're very bonded, but what it is really is that they are pathologically aligned with the alienator and they're afraid to deviate from that. And it's amazing in the four-day intervention. I mean, sometimes I have to have children brought here by this amazing service, um, which is called uh, Family Assisted Interventions. Yeah. And what they do, they have counselors who make a rapport with the child, and then they will transport the child to my office and all kinds of things happen between the time that, you know, they're transporting the child and before they get to my office. 
But once they are in the room with their father, it takes about an hour for them to start showing that they really want to see that parent, you know, that they really miss that parent. So and I they, think a lot of – go ahead. And they and children who are alienated, they truly love the parent that they're alienated. Oh, but, but because of yes. the splitting, um, they're not allowed to. They can't. Yes. yes. It's forbidden. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Like, for example, this family of six, um, they were in here on Father's Day weekend. And, of course, none of them had made him Father's Day cards or even wished him Happy Father's Day. So I had them do it while they were in my office. And not one of them, they said lovely things, but not one of them put, I love you, Dad, or love you know, and their name, and I questioned them about it, and they said, well, our mother doesn't really agree with the whole idea of putting love or love you, so we never talk about that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I've heard instances where children will say conflicting things within an hour. They may say, I hate you, and then an hour later, they may say, I love you. Oh, yeah. It's so it's so um, confusing to the parent, mm-hmm. the targeted parent, the alienated parent, you know. But the truth is that the child does love that parent. They know that that's the good parent. They know that that's their soft place to land. But yes. um, the, but the other parent is does not give unconditional love. Everything's conditional. So they, like you said earlier, exactly. they have to work for it, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. And because the child was very bonded to that parent, um, and even if they haven't been around that parent very much, you know, like young children, they can be, they can turn around within an hour, like you say, because they have been bonded to that parent. And they just have to be in the presence of that parent. And, of course, alienated parents are so thankful to see their children, you know, and most of them come in crying just because they saw mm-hmm. their child they haven't seen for a long time. And the children respond to them really well. You mentioned something about um, court and how children should not be brought into um, this dispute between the parents. And, and that's absolutely right. It's an adult situation. They, sh- they have no place in it. What do you think about one-on-one interviews with the judge, so private interviews? Because I have a client who um, my client's lawyer don't think even gets it. As a matter of fact, I think um, he's actually working against my client. But um, but they insisted on on her son interviewing, uh, he's 14, interviewing with the judge one-on-one. And when mm-hmm. I talked to her, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. The child's been angry. I said, he needs to be removed from being in the center of this issue. Yeah. So she went back to her lawyer, and her lawyer said, well, we can't back out now. He needs to do it. And um, so what is your thought on that? Well, one of the things I do for alienated parents is I write a declaration to the judge and cite 
some studies that also say that there probably isn't a psychologist in the world who would agree that it's okay and not detrimental to a child to go into a court and testify against a parent. And recently in California, they put forth a bill that luckily I found out ahead of time about it where they were going to reduce the age of allowing children to testify in court against the parents um, to 12 years old. And we mounted a huge defense about it. And the senator called me and he said, okay, just write it like you want it. (laughs) And that's what we'll put forth. He said, I understand all your points about it, so we'll just... You know, he could because the law was already on the books for 14 year olds, he couldn't do anything about that, but he could not put forth the 12 year olds. And the American Bar Association did a study where they found that 86% of children will lie because they will simply parrot whatever the alienator has said for them to say in the courtroom. They're like a little robot, you know? Yes. And so um, I present that to the courts and say, what is the point of having this child testify? Because you might as well just ask the alienator because that's what the child will say. And um, the way the law was finally written, we didn't agree to it, but this is how it was written, was that the children could testify, or not testify, but talk to the judge in his chambers or her chambers um, alone. Now, I know you know that judges are not qualified to interview children. Yes. And our stance is if you're going to interview a child, have someone who's qualified, have someone who knows about alienation talk to the child and get a statement if you want to. But recently I had a little girl, six years old, who'd been sexually abused by her dad, and she was interviewed um, with the judge, and she told the truth. And the judge still decided that he didn't believe her. She wasn't credible. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Oh, how heartbreaking. That is absolutely it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, I had uh I have a client or had a client who um the 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 child was to be interviewed by the judge uh, over video or you know, video kind of right. zoom or something like that. And they allowed the alienator alienating parent to actually yeah. be in the room with that child while that child right. testified. That's... And I mean, you know, you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind to understand that this is a major issue, that this can yeah. cause the child to, to lie and to feel like um, they're in danger if they, if they say the truth. Yes, in fact, when they testify, um, this has happened before this law changed in California, but they would be facing the courtroom. So they would be facing their parents with the respective lawyers. 
and the judge would be on the side. You know, so how is that not intimidating to a child? Of course they're going to say whatever the alienator says for them to say. I know that um, that you and your colleagues have been working for years to try to make these changes. Why is it taking so long? Why does the needle not move? Well, one reason is <clears throat> that we need a lobbyist. Um, many years ago, I got a bill through that protected healthcare workers. And it was so easy to do. You know, I found a senator, called him up. He said, great. He helped me write the bill. And it went through. And now the senators and representatives don't even want to hear from you unless you're in their district. So it's very time-consuming to call up all these people who may be interested and say, could I have an interview with you? And then they assign a staff member, and the staff members are so young that I don't know if they really get what the issue is. So really what we need is a lobbyist because my partner and I have tried for years to get different senators to carry it, and they have. But it gets shot down in one um, committee or another. And... um, Actually, recently, I don't know if you're aware, Randy, of Cadence Law, but it was funded by um, the Violence Against Women Act. And what it said was that women can claim domestic violence. They don't even have to prove it. And that men cannot use parental alienation in the court to either defend themselves or still have custody of their children. Hmm. So I know, and Biden signed it in March. I think he must not have read it because why would a man (laughs) sign that, right? (laughs) So, yeah. So anyway, the Violence Against Women Act, they have millions of dollars which they would disseminate to the states as an incentive to pick up this law. So what happened was that a group um, of, you know, advocates went in and worked with the legislators to change this law, the Judiciary Committee, and they managed to change it, but there were some things that they didn't manage to change. One of the good things was that they got the committee to agree to order training for judges, which would be 25 hours the first year, and then 20 hours for three consecutive years, and the training would be in child abuse, domestic violence, and even parental alienation, which is a real boon, and I had to laugh because as professionals, none of us get to have 20 hours, you know, of continued education. But it's on the books now. But the bad part is that they wanted to have all these programs removed as options for treatment, which we're trying to figure out a way to counteract that right now. And we want to figure out a way to include not just judges, but all the other people who work with children too. 
but we need a lobbyist and lobbyists you know cost a lot of money and we've tried to raise the money but so far it's been disappointing yeah that is very disappointing i hope at some point that um, these laws can go through and that judges can be trained in uh, psychologists and guardian at litems and um, uh, child yes. custody, you know, um, there's so much, uh, they, they make terrible decisions and children suffer. Oh. Why, doesn't, why doesn't the court want to hear that they won't listen to the words parental alienation if it's coming from either the um, the alienated parent or even the lawyer why don't they want to hear that well this was um more prevalent a number of years ago like 10 years ago when i first started going to courts one lawyer even said that i was peddling snake oil (laughs) and (laughs) so the way i handle it is there's only been one lawyer and one judge about three years ago. She said, I'm not going to have the words parental alienation in my courtroom. And I said, okay, well, do you want me to call it child psychological abuse, emotional abuse, coercive control, or parental alienation? Which one do you want me to use? And, of course, she got kind of red you know, and then finally said, oh, just use whatever you want. <laughs> so I didn't right. use parental alienation. I used coercive control. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that is just ridiculous. And there is a center in California. It's called Center for Judicial Excellence. Now, how they even came up with their name, because there's no lawyers involved with this organization, but they got a lot of funding from Congress, and they fight against parental alienation. And one time, I was actually at the Psychology Licensing Board when they wanted to um, have an audience, you know, with the board, and they were demanding that parental alienation get struck from the English language. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. And, of course, the board laughed, you know, and they had to leave. But they have been the most strident opposers of parental alienation. And I'll just mention this thing. Um, They will say things like parental alienation is junk science. Well, they say these outlandish things that really they can't back it up because on our side, we've done so much research. You know, we've got um, university professors doing research, um, great books written on research projects about everything. We debunk, you know, what's not true. In fact, The major study is by Joan Meyer out of Georgetown University where, you know, she quote-unquote did this study that proved that there was no parental alienation. And Jennifer Harmon in Colorado, she teaches at a university there, she tried to duplicate the study, and it was not able to be replicated at all and didn't have those results even when it was, you know, designed in the proper way to do scientific research. So um, this 
person, Joan Meyer, recently got a medal for her research, and we've been trying to, you know, appeal to the oversight people that, you know, watch research to say, look, you have to debunk it. Um, so far, we haven't been successful, but I always believe perseverance is what <laughs> we have to use. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and it's for such a an important cause. I mean, it's the children. It's the next generation um, yeah. who is being destroyed. And um, there's a there's actually um, someone who does work with. Um, Oh, gosh, parents who have been alienated from their children, but she calls parental alienation junk science, and it's just appalling to me. Yes. I, I mean, it's appalling, uh, you know, yes. so uh, I don't know. I mean, I think only well, a narcissist, only, only an alien, alienator yes. would be, yes, would call absolutely. it junk science, right? Yeah, absolutely, because now I've learned I say, well, would you mind proving it and citing some studies that actually prove, you know, that parental alienation is junk science? Because I can cite many peer-reviewed scientific research that has come out for the last number of years that proves that there is parental alienation, and I don't think that anyone who's experienced it would say there's no parental alienation, which, by the way, I mean, the numbers are so high. There's supposed to be 22 million, although I do think the number is actually higher than that, but that's what research has come up with. Um, 22 million parents are alienated by their children, and 3.4 million children are alienated. But I think that number is way higher. And the 22 million is just in the U.S. alone. And this is a worldwide issue, right? Exactly, yes. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the advice to give a parent going through this. What should they do? What should they not do in dealing with their children? Now, you know, in the beginning, they will usually have some contact, but they, you know, you were talking about it being counterintuitive, uh, meaning that, you know, if you think you should, you shouldn't. If you think you shouldn't, you should. I mean, it's, it's, it's backwards. So um, yes. parents initially will do the wrong thing because mm-hmm. they're thinking they're doing the right thing. So what is your best yes. advice to give parents? Well, I can tell you what I have seen that has worked, and that is very strong parents, when their children stop resisting seeing them, um, they can go back to court and file contempt, um, and they can be more aggressive about seeing their children. Um, I know the police won't do anything, but if the children are not going to come with that parent, they can at least have a police report because when someone like me comes along as an expert, police reports are very powerful to enter into the documentation for the court. We can say, you know, this parent filed so many, excuse me, um, you know, police reports because he or she didn't get their child when they went to pick them up. 
um, you know, try having it in a neutral place, getting a court order for that, for the exchange. Um, never let something goes, go by because if you do, you know, the alienator will build on this. Well, you know, how much does she care because, you know, she agreed not to see her child for this long. Um, and, you know, for the more contact there is, the better, because it's hard for a child to build up a certain view of their parent that is from the alienator if they see that parent frequently. So try to get as much custody as you can and stick by that and insist on that and go to court with an ex parte if you need to so that the judge is aware of what's going on. Um, once it's been in court and um, you need an expert and you're going to go into trial, um, then have an expert who combs through all the material and, you know, writes a report about all the parental alienation. So when I'm in court, my first job is to prove parental alienation and then to make recommendations about custody. And usually when it gets to that point, I ask for a 90-day transfer of custody and no contact with the alienator and the four-day intervention. And believe it or not, once the four-day intervention takes place, therapy for that part of the family is not indicated. They do really well. And sometimes if the children go back to the therapist they had, which is what the therapists want, they revert, you know, and we have to change therapists. But nowadays the judge will put me in charge of what the other therapist is doing. And we'll, at 90 days, there's a review schedule, and if the alienator is not adhering to the court orders, which they don't, um, there's another 90 days added on to that. Wow. So I've never had a case where it didn't extend for 90 days. And then there's a step-up program for the alienator to see their child. Um, I've had several alienators actually put in jail because, you know, they wouldn't cooperate. They had contact with a the child. They were sabotaging whatever way they could. Right. I, I mean, I, I know that um, they're all, narcissists in particular are always in contempt of the court because they feel mm-hmm. like they're above the law. And so many exactly. times they, the judge just does not do anything with the contempt of court there's so many so many issues but you know so as far as talking to the child I think the first thing that a parent does is they begin this pleading what did I do tell me tell me what I did you know um I can make it better and 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 all that does is push the child further towards the alienator because they're feeling so bad about what they have to do they don't want to hear that parent feeling sad so yeah um so what are some of the things that a parent can say to a child, or what, what should they not say? Well, I do think, and this is what Dr. Miller came up with. You can watch it on YouTube, um, what kind of things you can do. And you have to have sort of an authoritative approach with children. 
you know, don't take that second position of crying and begging because they feel disdain for that. So be authoritative and say, you know, this is my time and we're going. So get ready. And if you're not ready in five minutes, you can go without your stuff and we'll deal with it later. You know, so be firm. Be their parent overall. Don't succumb to, you know, their level or even below their level at this point. So I think it's important to just hang in there and not disappear. Mm. That's great advice. That's great advice. Yeah, I mean, this, the pleading and the, you know, the the heartfelt letters and emails and things like that, they do not work. But I, I like yeah. what you said, to be the authoritative parent. And it's important that that parent be who they've always been, not to... Yeah be softer because they think, you know, oh, that that the children won't want to come to me. Um, That's not what they need to be. They need to be the parent, but it's, you know, it's backwards. It's very hard for parents to understand this, which is why it's so important that we're talking about this today. So important. Yeah. We have to get the word out that there definitely are solutions. And in my book, I put lists of what you should ask therapists or lawyers before you retain them. So you have to make sure that they know what parental alienation is and how counterintuitive it is. Yes, yes. There's so much work to be done. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I believe it, it will eventually change. You know, it's um, oh, M. Scott, Pe- Scott Peck wrote the book, uh, People of the Lie, and yeah. um, the premise of that is that if evil is not considered a mental uh, health issue, a mental illness, then those who have been uh, victims of the evil will never be recognized. And it, it's, it's so true. Yes. It's and so I true. think that you brought up narcissists, Randy, and Judges do not recognize narcissists because they're so cool, calm, and collected. And Dr. Miller came up with this as well. Whereas the alienated parent is a mess when they go into courtrooms. So they will go along with what the cool, calm, and collected parent is asking for. They just don't recognize them. Unfortunately, that's that's true. Yeah. I mean, parents, the alienated parents really need to get themselves together and present themselves mm-hmm. in a different way for the judge because they really the judge really does look at who looks better. It's 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 really yes. a sad state of affairs, but it's exactly. true. It really is. It's oh, so my gosh. True. Yeah. Oh, Lynn, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you. I'm really excited. Um for my listeners to hear this and I'm going to um, definitely promote this because I want people to understand that there are ways to do this. It's not a death sentence. It doesn't have to be. Um, no. But it is. it does traumatize parents so dramatically um, that they have a hard time moving forward. And, um, yeah. you know, and it really is uh, very difficult for them to, to get their power back, to to oh, take yeah. that parental role. So 
um, and financially, you know, it really bankrupts parents to have to spend their time in the courtroom. Exactly. Which is what the alienator will do is constantly harass them in many different ways. Yes. And, yeah, and there are people who don't have the money to keep going back to court, and that's so sad. Um, Well, in my book, I've laid out a way for people to um, go proper, which is presenting themselves, you know, like what court documents to file, how to document what has happened, how to present it, um, you know, how to stay cool, calm, and collected themselves. So... Um, I hope that they can use that if they feel, you know, they just can't come up with legal fees, which I think most parents can't. Right. Or having it's, an expert. Right. By the point, right. By the time this all gets really bad, they've already spent, you know, thirty, forty, fifty, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars on their divorce. Oh, yeah. You know, and. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. usually theirs and the grandparents and mm-hmm. aunts and uncles. Right, everybody's to. chipping in, right. Everybody's yeah. trying to help. and it never it's comes like, back. No, it never comes back. It's it's so sad. But I'm glad that you have that in your book. So going per se, um, you think that's okay for someone if they cannot afford an attorney? Well, they found that... Um, people who go in pro per can do better than an attorney who doesn't know about parental alienation. Okay. So you said pro per. What's the difference between that and pro, per se? I, I've heard it both ways. Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay. So it, it means representing yourself without um, legal counsel. That, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. and I know it's daunting to do, but that's only in the beginning, because when you really go into court, you know, you think it's like Perry Mason, <laughs> but it's not. It's just, you know, um, people sitting at a long desk with a judge on his pedestal, and then they call in the experts or whoever's going to. Right now, it's great because we're still on Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not intimidating at all. But it's not intimidating if you follow what guidelines I set out to represent oneself. And if you just have somebody you can call, you know, to say, what about this? What about that? Right. So we're talking about your book, You're Not Crazy, Overcoming Parental Child Alienation. And Lynn, what is your website? Um, How can people get in touch with you if, um, if they would like to use you as um, the reunification um, specialist. Right, or the expert. It's um, Lynn Steinberg, L-Y-N-N-S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G.com. And on my website, if you are representing yourself, I have a bunch of documents that I wrote for the court. So you can download them for free and use them and create a document for yourself. Oh, that's wonderful. I I could help you edit it for your case, but it's a way to, you know, put something in that looks great. And always it has to be as short as possible because then the judge will read it. 
and they admit they don't read things that are too pedantic and long. So make it as short as you can, and that will um, that will you know make it better for you in okay. the courtroom. Okay, and if you're going in um, by yourself without representation, um, and the other parent is coming in with, you know, they usually have a bulldog or, you know, somebody yeah, that's, do. that does not have um, such great scruples. Um, does it work when you're up against someone like that? Well, those people can hang themselves, you know. So if you go in and you're sincere and you have things documented and, you know, what one of the experts say, he says, expose, expose, expose. And as you know, narcissists hate to be exposed. (laughs) And, (laughs) And once they are exposed, they start to unravel. And then mm-hmm. they become super angry in the courtroom, and the judge gets to see who they are. Invariably, this happens. Yes. So, and you, as the alienated parent, are in the position to expose, you know, because you know all the dirt. And a lot of lawyers will say, oh, well, we don't want to do that. We want to take the high road. No, (laughs) don't take the high road because they're not going to take the high road. You know, they're going to use everything they have and twist it around. And, you know, just be honest and humble and reveal them. That's right. Oh, such good advice. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really, really appreciate you doing my this interview with me. My pleasure. And I'm so happy to get the word out. Yes. Yes. Well, it will get out. Yeah. Okay. I believe uh, so. Well, have a wonderful day. And um, thank you for all the work that you're doing because it is desperately needed. Uh, and it's nice, it's, it's wonderful for parents to hear this and to know that there's resources that can help them. So thank you Absolutely. so much. Yes. Thank okay. you, Randy. I You're really welcome. appreciate the work you do. Thank you. Okay, Lynn, have a wonderful day. Take care. And you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.